Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've been thinking a lot lately about civility. Of course, basic politeness and exercising good manners is essential. But I think civility, real civility, goes deeper. It means to choose our words carefully and thoughtfully in non-hurtful ways. It means to be respectful of how another person sees the world even when we heartily disagree. And to maintain a sense of humility, because as a wise friend of mine used to say, we could always be wrong. These are lofty goals which I practice imperfectly, of course. But that's the tone we strive for in these programs. Thank you for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and The Network Incorporated. There's a big difference between placing your attention where you want it and having your attention grabbed. So when I say, you know, most people get their attention grabbed by something, but my question is, why is it grabbing your attention? And it's actually possible to get that thing to stop from yanking your chain, you know, psychologically, uh, if you understand, well, why is it yanking my chain to begin with and how do I get it off my mind? In a world that can drive us to distraction, some insights on finding and maintaining focus. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. On the personal struggle we all wage to make sensible plans, to maintain a big-picture vision, and to clarify our values when we're tested by real life, best-selling author and lecturer David Allen has a word of advice. You do all of these things more effectively when you're able to clear your head. You know, anybody who's, who's trying to operate at a high-performance level, I mean, think of somebody going before they're going to do a concert you know, a concert pianist before they're going on stage with, you know, six million people that are going to listen to what they do. You know, what they don't want to do is be distracted, and they need to have a clear head so that they're fully available to the, you know, to the meta talent that may show up when they put themselves into those kind of situations. David Allen's roadmap for focus and self-management is known to his legions of devotees as GTD. It stands for Getting Things Done, the title of his massively popular book. David's newer book, Making It All Work, speaks to the growing audience of people who experience the speed and complexity of our world and can almost feel crushed by it, who crave a way to wrestle it all down and to gain perspective. It starts, he says, with methodically collecting and sorting out our loose ends, from that email we haven't answered to the family project that keeps crying out for our attention. But corralling those loose ends into a system we can trust is just part of the process. You know, the, the control piece is one like, okay, now i got all, the, sh- the ship's not sinking. <laughs> you know, got the ship, you know, and a lot of getting control. The, the is, dinner's not burning. The dinner's not burning, right, cool. Um, then you say, well, wait a minute, is this the dinner I need to be cooking? Or wait a minute, is, this, is the ship pointed where it needs to be pointed? Because ultimately, I can get control of the ship. I've got control of the helm, and I've stopped it from sinking. But if I don't start to point the ship in the right direction, I'm going to keep running into the thing that created the hole to begin with. 
So there's a very tight connection between perspective and control because if you're not focused on what some part of you knows think, or thinks you should be focused on, then there's a part of you that's going to start losing control again. So they're very tightly connected to each other. But let's make it a little simpler. Okay, now I've got things under control. How do I decide priorities? Because if I've got you know, over 150 things to do in terms of action items, which is a typical inventory for you know, most professionals anyway, um, how do I make a choice? So that's where, that's where the perspective piece comes in. We'll say, well, okay, uh, you're going to have to do something and not do a lot of other things, so we need to make some sort of strategic or tactical choice about which one of these things is going to give me the highest payoff. And that's where, say, well, how do I determine my priorities? That may depend on what David Allen calls your horizon of focus. Think of it as an airplane trip. At the most mundane level, the runway before takeoff, Focus intently on the very next action you need to take toward attaining an outcome you've clearly defined. That's the key step to ensure forward progress. As your aircraft ascends to, say, 10,000 feet, you carefully keep track of your various projects and activities, encompassing work life and personal life. David Allen recommends reviewing the entire list once a week so nothing important slips through the cracks of our hectic schedules. What I would call 20,000 feet would be the areas of your life that you need to maintain. You know, how important is your health and your, just your energy and how important is it to back up your computer and how important is it to maintain, you know, uh, reasonably positive relationships with the people you live and work with. And that's the maintenance part of life, which can take up quite a bit of life. As a matter of fact, as soon as you go to sleep, you just did, okay, you just said taking care of your body and your health is more important than relationships or your career because you just checked out from both of those <laughs> and said, look, I'm going to take care of my body. Not to be facetious, but at some point that will be a priority and needs to be considered. At the next outing, 30,000 feet, the outlines of a bigger picture start coming into view. A year or two from now, what do you want to be doing? Where do you want to be in your life? Here you may decide to set an overall goal for the year, which translates into personal or professional priorities. These affect some of the specific outcomes you aim for in that time period. At one more level up, 40,000 feet, you start to envision in detail what long-term success would look and feel like. This, says David Allen, is where you kick back and dream up your ideal lifestyle or career toward aligning your daily choices with that general direction. 50,000 is the big game. What's the, what's the purpose, the big why, the operant question there, as well as your core principles? What's really, really, really important to you in life? Because ultimately, those are going to drive your priorities. And if, you, if you're doing something that, that some part of you deep down or maybe even not so deep down knows is really not on purpose for you, given who you are, given you know, what you think is important, you know, you'll be off course. So a lot of it is just bringing to your conscious awareness the fact that these larger questions are out there and that you have some underlying uh, priorities established. Yeah, and the truth is that in, in a way, I'm, you know, when I coach people or even with myself, I'm not saying that people should have goals or necessarily have a life purpose. But if you do and you don't, you know, acknowledge it, 
then you know there's a part of you that's going to be in misalignment. So I'm not saying I'm, there's not a, I'm not putting a should on this. I'm just saying that if you do, and from my experience, most people when they really get down to it, you know, have things that are really important to them. And so the more honest and the more conscious they are w uh, with themselves about what those are, the easier it will be to focus. Now let's shift our travel metaphor to a voyage on the ocean of life. The water currents, the wind, activity in the sky above will all affect our odyssey, the direction we follow, the challenges we face. I use the image of having appropriate amounts of control and perspective of the captain and commander. Uh, and that, that's that, that image of, you know, I've got my eye on the horizon, I know where I'm going, and I, I, I've got my sights set on that, and I have a light touch on the helm, but I'm very, very sensitive to where I need to be and exactly what I need to pay attention to on the most mundane levels lined up toward where I'm going. So that appropriate combination of managing the elegance of the detail and the sensitivity of calibrating and recalibrating and recalibrating to be able to move me toward where I'm going is that appropriate sort of balance between just enough control to give me the, the, the maximum expansion and freedom toward what I'm trying to do. So that's why it's not about just getting organized and just handling detail. It's handling detail with the appropriate you know, perspective and consciousness, but you try to ignore the detail, the detail will then start to take more of your attention than it deserves. So it's another one of those things. If you don't pay attention to those things that will start pulling on your attention, then they'll take more of your attention than they should take. In your book, Making It All Work, you talk about rocketry and how a rocket's trajectory is a process of continuous realignment so it stays on course because the mechanism of the rocket keeps wanting to go off course. I thought that was a great image. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why if and my working hypothesis is true, that we are teleological beings, that essentially we're here to do something. Uh, you know, we are here to fulfill, to expand, to express, to grow, uh, to, to be engaged in some sort of positive uh, manifestation, if you will. And if that's true, being on your course and getting on your course will be something some part of you always seems to be driving toward. And, you know, anything that's going to be pulling you off that course will start to then pull on your attention and start to, you know, let you know. It's, kind of, it's almost like you can trust that the universe is giving you very appropriate feedback. Uh, that's why, you know, coming back to paying attention to what has your attention, but it can get pretty subtle. And that's true even on very practical things. I mean, mo what most people have their attention on, when I say, hey, what's most on your mind right now? You know, what most people aren't thinking right at that point is how am I fulfilling my destiny as a human spirit on the planet? Most people are thinking my babysitter just quit. Oh, damn. <laughs> or I need cat food. Or, you know, somebody just dinged my car or whatever. And so, you know, again, if you're trying to think about your destiny on the planet, but somebody dinged your car or your cat's screaming at you and has, or, or you know, now that you've got no babysitter and you're trying to do some other things, uh, that's going to be a, a, a very frustrating event. You're focused on the wrong horizon about the wrong things. You know, it's almost like you need to have thought about your life purpose so that some part of you feels okay that having a babysitter and having a cat is actually lined up and fine. And then let me get down to the mundane things and deal with that.
you know, I think, I'm sure if you've met people that you would call spiritual, perhaps with a small s, you know, the people who seem to have that sort of essence about them that seems to be peaceful and uh, is also a very dynamic event. And they're also very involved, you know, in the mundane things of life. You know, again, we, we are multi-leveled human beings involved in, in lots of levels of this game. We're talking with David Allen, originator of the Getting Things Done Method and author of Making It All Work. For more information on this segment, The Horizons of Attention, check our website, humanmedia.org. Let's talk about the process of getting perspective at the higher altitudes of our life, the, the place where we ponder the big questions of why we're really doing things. What are your suggestions on how to approach that process? I think the probably best way to get at it is to reflect on when you have felt most intact with the deeper part of who you are. In other words, uh, when does David Freudberg really show up? And or disappear. Yeah, that's right. But the, the, the ego part. Uh, yeah, but the show up part may may involve the ego. You know, I don't. In, in my experience, when you're really there, all the things that you have and are and, and have as part of your expression, you know, seem to be in their right place in the right moment. So uh, there's a sense of, you know, the athletes would call it being in your zone. There's a sense of where time disappears. You know, another example of. Time management really works when there is no time. So to the extent that we've all had little glimpses of a kind of higher place, a place of greater peacefulness and clarity, that's a good starting point? It's a great starting point. I think if everybody just sort of quieted themselves, everybody's going to admit that they have a still, small voice that knows what's going on. You know, there's every that little thing called David. Is that really the best thing you should be doing right now? I don't. I think that's a dangerous path if you start walking down. I've got it. You know, I I I have that still small voice, and I think, you know, there's a part of us. We, you know, all the different levels of of who we are and how we express and how we seem to be on the planet involve all the things from the part of me that just wants to eat, drink you know, procreate, you know, whatever. And then there's another part of me that says, yes, and, you know, there's a much bigger game going on here that's much more elegant, that has a lot more of a sense of fulfillment when I sort of line up and w with what that's about. So I think a lot of our challenge is to understand, you know, you know, follow that inner voice, which inner voice? <laughs> which, which person on your committee, you know, are, whose advice are you going to take? And oftentimes I think we, we come to those um, when we've run down too many, you know, wrong roads. So, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the people who have had, you know, sort of spiritual transformation in their life is because of, or usually at the point when they've been running down a lot of what you might call wrong roads, and then they, you know, finally hit a brick wall or, you know, had a huge recession. Wait a minute, what's really important to me now? Because now I don't have that, but I, I, you know, what's going to fill that, that space that, uh, you know, the money or the boat or the, the things out there were, were filling for me? If I don't have them now, I still want fulfillment. Where is it? How do I find it if I don't have the material things, let's say, to, to you know, to, to, to get me distracted about what's there? And you start to uncover, you know, the cooler parts of it, you know, the Thoreau-esque, if you will. You know, you just get it real simple and you find out how complex the world really can be, you know, in a very elegant way. 
But oftentimes, back to your point, how do I, how do, how would people try to approach this? I would say, you know, where is that state of mind where you have the ability to listen to the still small voice? And what are the things that you were doing the way you were doing them when you felt like you really showed up more than other times? And those should give you some keys. I think if you combine those two things and said, wait a minute, you know, how was I on because I was engaged? And probably it's because you were engaged in some sort of a, you know, higher level of frequency. It could be a high aesthetic. It could be a, a sense of service, a sense of loving or a sense of, you know, positive feeling, you know, that sort of warm glow that really happens when you do good things for somebody. You know, those, those are the kinds of good things. I mean, we don't have to look very far, I think, to find what are some of the more fulfilling things in life. How about the need to pause for reflection in our breakneck pace of modern life that so easily gets trampled in the rush? Yes, I totally agree. Stop and reflect. You know, and I have to work on it, too. It's like I can get, I can get down in the weeds, you know, and, 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 you know, as I say, get wrapped around the axle tight, as tight as anybody. And oftentimes that's my little message called, hey, David, dude, you know, you need to go stop, do a little yoga, stretch, you know, walk around the block. Even just watch TV or just sit and hang, play with your dog, do something to break that cycle. So I think, you know, paying attention to your energy and, you know, how much refreshment do I need to be able to, to recoup and, and, and refocus. People think, people think about meditation and contemplation and maybe reflection uh, or prayer or whatever way you wanted to say, let me stop and perhaps connect with something else either inside of me or somewhere else you know, that, that, that I may think you know, I have a connection to. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's about, yes, being quieter, but it's not quiet. As a matter of fact, it's just quieting the outer noise or quieting a certain kind of a sound so that you're, you hear other sounds. You know, I think the universe is is on all the time. The universe doesn't doesn't slow down when you get quiet, right? So if you're if you're a part of this universe, just getting quiet allows you to pay attention to other aspects of the universe that is always on. So you're you're just now seeing the thing that was happening all along that you were distracted from. Seeing. Exactly, exactly. In other words. You know, that let's say there's a higher voice inside of you that knows what's going on. You know, it's always there. It's always accessible, but it doesn't go beat you in the head. You have to go to it. You know, it's kind of like knock and you shall receive. Or, yeah, there is, there's some level of, look, I've got to stop and ask or look or, you know, pay attention. So the idea of listening, you know, if you stop and listen, there's a part of you that changes what you do. As a matter of fact, there's a part of you that I was just reading some research that when you're actually helping somebody, there's a part of your brain that's engaged that that keeps you from doing things that are self-serving or that, that that's a different part of the brain that when you're just trying to do things just for yourself, that they actually come from two different places and they're mutually exclusive <laughs> in terms wow. of the path, the neural pathways. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, if you're sitting there being totally selfish and, you know, and, and I, I'm if I can ask you for your help, uh, it will shift inside of you. So I think there's there's a lot of subtlety about how we learn to point our focus, what we then have access to, uh, and even just, and I don't want to make this sound too crass, but even just in a meditative, contemplative mode, it's like just changing the wiring. You know, as I say, the music's not in the radio.
It's been said the only thing we're able to truly control is where we direct our attention. And of course, focusing in may be the hardest thing for a human being to do. Sometimes I meet people who seem able to shut out external factors and focus directly without distraction, without attention deficit, without interruption. There's a laser-like power in that kind of focus. David Allen. I often make the, the kind of silly statement, but there's, I think, truth embedded in it. So I said, have you ever had a good idea? Okay, well, was that idea capable to be had before you had it? Yeah. So where'd that idea come from? Yeah, maybe it came from inside of you, maybe it came somewhere, but I will suggest that that idea was always, you know, in some theoretical way anyway, was always available to be had. You know, the idea is sitting there. You had to go to it, or you had to be, you had to be available to it before it was going to show up in, in, in your conscious awareness. So making ourselves available, so the concept of listening is a very active process. So oftentimes, what are you listening to? You know, and to me, at least my own meditative practices have a lot to do with being able to quiet my own noise, my own distractions, my own attachments and engagements in the more material side to start to listen to, you know, perhaps a different kind of music or a different kind of sound. So are there some good focusing questions that we can ask ourselves to point us in the direction of this higher altitude? Oh, yeah, a real simple question. It's like, where are you going? What are you doing? You know, you know, what am I doing is a very good question to ask ourselves. And to remember to ask it. To remember to ask, what am I doing right now? You know, and, and it's the most common, the most ordinary kind of thing, but many of the spiritual practices have just pure observation as one of the primary things to do. Just observe, just watch. Where am I? What am I doing? How, how am I doing what I'm doing? Find that part of yourself that's a kind of witness for the rest of your life. Right. Sort of yourself watching yourself. You know, look, here's what I'm doing. And, of course, the why question always comes in, too. Why are you doing that? You know, so the ultimate, you know, I, I don't know how, how old the, you know, the kids are where why is the, you know, they can't stop asking, why is this guy blue, but why is that? But why would you do that? But why would you do that? You know, it's not, it's not a bad question. You know, and as a consultant over all these years, I've discovered, you know, that's a great question to ask. Most people forget to ask why. So it's probably, you know, why do you have a living room? A lot of people aren't living in their living room. You know, they live in the kitchen, you know. The, so, <laughs> you know, a lot of people forget why they have a living room, why they have kids, why they have a car, why their desk is sitting there instead of over there. Why? Why? So there's, you can hardly go wrong by asking the why question. You know, if I said, David, look, why are you, why are you doing this interview? Well, to fulfill my destiny on the planet. And if you really knew that and how those things were connected from the mundane activity that you're engaged in all the way back to, well, I'm doing that because of career and because this is of interest to me and because this is fun and because I get fulfillment. Well, why do you want to feel fulfillment? Well, if you feel fulfillment, I, more of me shows up. Why do you want to do that? Well, when more of me shows up, I do better work. Why do you want to do good work? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And not to make that some sort of just, you know, Pollyanna kind of a, a nonsense, you know, questioning process just to be irritant, but that is a good question to ask yourself. So you're never, never hurt by asking the, the, the intention, because from my experience, you know, what I would consider God or the, the highest form of, of the connection that I have, um, you know, my connection to that is, is demonstrated or reflected by the, my intentionality. Where, where am I going? What am I doing? And we can't stop doing that. People say, gee, David, don't you ever do nothing? Well, doing nothing is doing something. 
you know, I do, I love to do nothing, you know, meaning I love to be able to, you know, shift gears, quiet things down uh, so that I can sort of play at different levels inside of myself and I've engage been in with your, other things. I've been in your uh, Japanese garden at, at home. <laughs> That's uh, right. Where, where you maybe tend to it, but it's pretty close to doing nothing. But again, doing nothing is a very active, dynamic state. If you can be there, because you're not really doing nothing, you're just engaged in much more subtle things that don't look like you're doing much out here, uh, but they can be even more and more active and engaged. You know, and that's a lot of my, as I'm working on myself, I'm still working on this and still feel like a, you know, a beginner and a student at how do I start to pay attention to those more subtle frequencies and the more subtle sounds that are always going on. And, you know, while I'm still engaged in the world. And we, and we can't get to that level of awareness of more subtle sounds and frequencies if we don't keep tunneling and asking why. Well, that will keep you in reflective mode, and it will keep you, you know, perhaps, let's say, going inside you know, and, and reflecting in perhaps the deeper, deeper parts of yourself. At some point, um, here's the tricky paradox about all this and why this is, this is quite a game to be playing. The more you actually tap into, in my experience, sort of who you really are and sort of line yourself up with the more dynamic part of you that's very real uh, and maybe comes from the higher parts of, the, of your committee and the more elegant you know, members of your committee and you're, you're running yourself that way, what happens is you get so inspired and you start to tap into such creativity and such inspiration, you go running out in the world <laughs> to go express that and expand that and you feel so excited and you're, and you're up and let's go do things and then you get wrapped into that world that you're at now out there and somehow you somehow now you lost the space that created the inspiration to begin with and you keep trying to run faster and faster and faster to find out wait a minute it got me out here let me go find how to keep that going out here but it wasn't out there that created it so a lot of my training you know with myself spiritually has been how do I learn to tap to that and take that with me so that I don't leave it when I go get involved in the material world so the integration, the integration of, of the of the mundane and the the uh, highest right. Uh, right. Uh, horizon. So in, in other words, how can I be in a meditative state right now while you're talking to me? And you know that's kind of the multitasking that says you know between my words I'm also you know saying look is this the best thing I should say? You know what's going to be the most fulfilling for the people who might be listening to this? There are all kinds of things that may be going on here that will allow me to have that kind of inspirational experience while I'm in this because I'm tapping to really more the source of where that inspiration came from. But this is tricky business because it's so easy to, to, to be deluded that being involved in an inspired expression was the source of the inspiration. Uh, it's not. Something remarkable about David Allen's insights is how they seemingly appeal and apply to such a wide cross-section of people. Fortune 500 executives and undergraduate students, voices from the far right and the far left, those working in the nonprofit and for profit sectors, people who are comfortably secular and naturally spiritual. They're drawn to what David calls winning at the game of work and the business of life. I think we all need to give ourselves permission to have more fun with this whole game. And the seriousness of life, I think it's very easy to get too serious about how serious life is. And I really think there's a wink that needs to be inside of all of us about any and all of this. Uh, I like to say, you know, about all this work that I do, about all these different horizons and how important it is to have a clear head and, 
and and all that is is really just about have an equal dose of respect and irreverence for it all. You know, buying cat food is as important as finding God. And you say, well, no, 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 that's not true at all. Certainly to the cat. To the cat. (laughs) Absolutely. But I think that, you know, some of the most elegant and um, fulfilling and dynamic things we can be involved with are right here, are right with us. And, you know, uncovering that, that sense of fulfillment is really a fascinating game. And by the way, I'm just talking to myself because, you know, I can very easily get wrapped around, you know, my own axle too tight and, you know, take all this stuff too seriously. David Allen, author of Getting Things Done and Making It All Work. Thanks so much, David, for being with me again today. Always a pleasure, David. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliard. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham. Music by Gunnar DeBose. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston and The Network Incorporated. Program development provided by Short Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment, The Horizons of Attention with David Allen, is Humankind Program number 142. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.